0: The job for life is dead. Forrester Research predicts that today's youngsters will hold 12 to 15 jobs in their lifetime. Being adaptable and willing to redefine yourself has become a key driver of success. My name is Stephen Norton, and you are very welcome to the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast, episode 24. Firstly, I want to say thank you to our regular listeners. It has been lovely to get your feedback on past episodes and find out which ones were your favourite. It makes it all worthwhile, so thank you from the bottom of my heart. Now, are you in a role, good or bad, but you always feel you have more to give in other ways? Or maybe you're living someone else's story and you struggle to find your own uniqueness. If that is the case, then my guest this month has a story that will inspire you. Vicky Ferrier is the Director of Talent and Capability of the Very Group. I've been lucky enough to spend some time studying with Vicky during my own coaching journey and I was initially surprised that this person with such a people focus, such amazing knowledge about coaching, such heart and such purpose, spent the bulk of her career in finance. I haven't met too many finance people with an outlook like Vicky's and I was always curious as to how she made these two worlds meet. This podcast is about great conversations and this is one of the best. We go right back to Vicky's roots through the challenges of corporate life and dive into her personal manifesto of being your own story. Enjoy episode 24. Vicky Ferrier, you're very welcome to the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Stephen.
0: So you are the talent and capability director with the very group who are a Mm. a major online uh, retailer they they are the ones that have been keeping those little packages <laughs> at everybody's door over this lockdown yeah
1: yeah one of them yeah
0: how did you get here and tell me the long story i don't want short stories tell me what happened after you took off the school tie <laughs>
1: Okay. Be careful what you wish for, Stephen. I can talk for <laughs> Scotland. Well, gosh, maybe I'll start at the end of the story and then go back to the start of the story. So This h- is your story. How did I, how, how did I get to Vary in the first place? Well, I have a long career in finance, um, which I, I'll go back to. And round about end of 2019, a good friend of mine who I'd worked with in finance at Procter & Gamble, and then again at Boots, took up the position of CFO at the very group. And he asked me. I was um, self-employed at the time, working in a with a small, small sort of independent consultancy. Um, he asked me if I would come and and support him in his first few months, um, assessing the capability of the finance function, maybe doing a little bit of coaching, mm-hmm. supporting him to um, get his his leadership team in order. Yeah. And I started in in February. I had no intent of staying much longer than a few months. Um, I was in Scotland. The uh, role was in Liverpool. I'd long held an ambition to actually work in Scotland, which I've not done for a very, very long time, uh, 20 odd years. And had really spent the previous few years traveling a lot. You know, Mm. Luton Airport was one of my kind of (laughs) of least favorite destinations and lots, lots and lots of client work in that part of the world. And was just a little bit Fed up with the, the travel, to be honest. So, when I um, when I spoke to to Ben about doing the work, it very it was a very kind of short short term uh, time frame I had in mind. But I, I quickly he said he said I'd be sucked in, and I really was. Yeah. You know, loved it right from the start. Um, could see masses of opportunity, and this was me just looking at finance, never mind the whole company. And then of course lockdown came in in March. Mm. And actually that that afforded me an even more kind of important role within the company because whilst the finance function was getting on with doing its bit, which was about, you know, preserving the 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 kind of financial integrity of the company and, and its cash position,
0: yeah. I was
1: then able to do the bit of sort of joining joining the dots up and making the connection and trying to support um sort of Ben with his vision of a finance function, which were very much aligned on which is about you know finance is there to create and protect the future of the company so i was kind of felt like i was this sort of emissary going out into the function and sp- spreading the word um, and created a development program around that which was all centered on um sort of activating people's sense of personal agency personal inner the inner leader and that that went really well really really enjoyed it had a had a really good Um, impact on on the function there was about I think it was about 70 people through 100 100 or so of the function that have gone through that and then um late last year the chief people officer who I didn't have a relationship with at all I'd I'd, I'd made sure I was in relationship with the function the people function to make sure I wasn't doing anything in finance that was too too kind of off message Hmm. Um, but she she approached me and and Basically asked if I'd be interested in the role of Talent and Capability Director, to which it didn't take me long at all to say absolutely yes. So um, January first.
0: That's a, that's highly unusual, isn't it? That you would join a company in a finance role, and somebody would say, "Well, let's get you over on the people side of it." That yeah. that that doesn't happen, does it?
1: <laughs> no, no, not very often. But um, I mean, I, I think I suppose um, it goes back to. The, I think I spent nearly 10 years at P&G, and Procter Gamble is quite an unusual culture. I don't think many people appreciate that it's um, promote from within only. So you join at graduate entry level, and that's pretty much the only level that you can you can join at in the company. So right. the onus, of course, is upon um, managers and leaders to build capability internally. You know, it's, they really have to focus on building that internal leadership capability because you can't just you know, at director level, just bring in three or four external yeah. hires. So kind of have to really, really focus on investing in in leadership capability. So what, what I hadn't really quite appreciated when I left P&G, and I'd done a, a range of roles at P&G, but mostly centered on either real commercial finance, you know, working with Tesco's and and Sainsbury's and, and the customer, or um, mergers and acquisitions. So I did about 50, 60% of my time in mergers and acquisitions. Right. Um but at the same time, I was doing all these other sort of extracurricular projects, which weren't extracurricular there because you know fifty percent or so of your um performance was based on building organizational capability. so I was doing things like incredible things i I worked with a team that created a an opportunity for graduates who had received a an offer of a place at p and g to go and work with the w h o for a year first, okay, which was incredible. Go, Give and Grow, it was called. It was amazing. That was in sort of 2000. Um, I worked on the redesign of the entire um, employer brand proposition. I worked on, you know, mentoring programs, role modeling programs, female leadership programs, um, leadership programs for new hires and stuff. So, you know, I was yeah. kind of doing all this stuff and it wasn't, it wasn't until I left Procter & Gamble and went into investor relations because I'd had that M&A experience and, really really loved the bits of it I I loved like um the the project that I worked on a guy called Armin Zerza. um we worked together on selling some brands that had come with a a big acquisition so we'd acquired Wella for 7 billion euros or something and with <laughs> small, that small acquisition <laughs> <laughs> well, with that acquisition came some brands that didn't fit in the P&G portfolio like yeah. Bosie because P&G already had hidden shoulders. The Bozine right. brand was quite, you know, quite similar in terms of positioning. So we went out and sold these little brands. And I, that was one of the most exciting and interesting and enjoyable projects I ever worked on. You know, tiny in the P&G landscape, but such fun. It was, it was literally, I felt like I had a little rucksack on my back. You know, yeah. <laughs> I was like, you want this hand cream? You know, it was San and Lansan, German hand cream band, brands. I had Bozine which sold uh, to an Irish Irish company, so so that again wasn't particularly mainstream finance, but gave me the insight into investor relations, which is really just talking for a living and selling the prospects of the company and selling the 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 the, the management capability and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. So. And it's so quite never
0: re- Yeah, it's quite outward looking as well, isn't yes. it? I mean, whereas a lot yeah. of people go into finance and they can be quite inward looking and they don't they don't in fact, when people bring them problems from the outside, they kinda of go, Oh, no, 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 I deal with this stuff here.
1: Yeah, ap- absolutely. And I you know, when you you asked the question about taking the school tie off, um, you know, I'd I'd not had a particularly um wonderful school school life um you know i think back to so at the age about eleven twelve I had these ambitions to be prime minister and I think like a lot of lot of people particularly women they quickly that kind of audacity of the ambition gets quickly knocked out of you but i also i was at quite a tough school um <laughs> like we had a yeah one we had a dining you know we had a dining room and a dining table we had a tiny 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 house <laughs> tiny house. Yeah. but I just had that kind of upbringing that, you know, you sat round in a dining table rounded you know, and it, that was just, that wasn't how the rest of, of my classmates lived at all. Yeah. Um, and so kind of felt, felt always quite different. Um, and then when I was about 15, my mum, who'd, I, I, I don't know when this started, but she was mentally, became quite mentally ill and was sectioned.
0: Right. Um
1: uh, our sort of um you know inst- mental health institution hospital in edinburgh yeah. so that was that was quite challenging but i didn't i didn't recognize it as challenging at the time i i just kind of stiff upper lip grit get on with the you know resilience that kind of thing um and quickly quickly learned that you know that wasn't the sort of thing you shared with people so yeah. i think yeah. i was quite, maybe perceived as a bit of an oddball a bit of an outsider a bit of a weirdo probably had a couple of really really good good friends who are still friends with today but so kind of you know I didn't I didn't have the type of education that my children now have who go to a beautiful private school (laughs) yeah just lovely lovely experience although they moan about it every day obviously um (laughs) so I yeah so I, I kind of you know was did did maths um did English applied to do economics and maths at glasgow university when i you know in in sixth year but didn't didn't get into that because i got i think i got a b for my economics and i need an a or a c and i've got a b i got abi can not really remember so and that was i i know looking back of course that was driven by the fact that my you know my family life was in in some, yeah. some turmoil um so took a year out did the uh thing that probably is the making of me, which went to work for an insurance company in Edinburgh, which a lot lot of people did back then. It was yeah. quite a well it was quite a good route, you know, for those people who didn't want to go to university and um you could earn good money as financial services, a huge industry here in Edinburgh. But but doing that just told me, oh, my God, this is not what I want for my life, you know, mm. just just um not good money, but just not, not what I wanted. So I went back to the drawing board um, decided, decided to do English literature um, and that that was based on nothing much more than than loving reading books yeah. um, but again I think that was really important for me because everything that I picked was was deeply sort of psychological and psychoanalytical you know it was very feminist psychoanalytical French nice. you know Jacques Lacan and, and, and um, Derrida and all these sort of you know kind of very um are
0: they footballers
1: (laughs) (laughs) you know funnily enough I I would have answered yes a a few years ago I sort of forgot I'd I'd done all of that you know because and I'll tell you about how I moved into finance but in finance I I sort of forgot that I'd done that 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 part of of my life if if that makes sense and I sort of tucked it away but um so I guess I, I was doing English literature with almost I Clearly now, looking back, it was a way for me to make sense of some of the experiences I, as I'd had as a, as a child um, or a teenager. Um, but when I finished my English literature degree, which I really enjoyed, it was almost that sense of, all right, we better get get back to the practical, you know, better all do right. a real, something real now. That was your time um, out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So um, my dad um, was an accountant, um, so I applied to the, the firms, the um, Pricewaterhouse, as it was then, and KPMG. Hmm. But at the same time, I also applied into the public sector because I was really still had that sense of what was driving me to want to be prime minister was a sense of equality and, and socialism and, and, and kind of making a difference in the world. So I joined local government and trained to be an accountant in local government, which was okay. given, again, by this idea of of doing good and, and being of, of service. In yeah. society but discovered that is not the place necessarily <laughs> to <make a> <laughs> government
0: is not the place to help a society
1: <laughs> the bureaucracy is incredible and I, I think whilst um i know there's some wonderful leaders in the public sector and i'll, I'll share in a, a minute why i know that to be true but i i know there are but i think at 22 23 i think um i think my ambitions were just beyond what was, what was um, feasible to, to provide for in, in, in the local government. um, I I think, I think that happens.
0: I think that happens a lot of, I actually think it happens more nowadays than, than even uh, back then that people come out of college or out of whatever education they're in totally enthusiastic about this new job. And then they're kind of told, whoa, 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 that's not how it works. We we know, we, to, we told you that we want to hire <laughs> dynamic, uh, you know, self-starters who have great ideation skills and can see through thing, things through from start to finish, but we don't want you to do it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. That's what we yeah, hired, sure. but we don't want you
0: to do it because, you know, we're doing something different here.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I, complete, I completely agree with you. So... So I think by this point, I'm probably at 25 or something. So I got my qualification, did my chartered accountancy. And, and you know, I, I, do, I do think that was a useful useful thing to do, but went back to the drawing board again and was invited by, joined up with, signed up with a headhunter and they had a, a conference where, uh, for for newly qualified accountants to, to attend. And um, I, I didn't need to think twice to say yes, because it was at the Glen Eagles Hotel. And you know, being being brought up in the part of Edinburgh I was, I'd never never managed to get yeah. to Glen Eagles before five-star hotel, so went there, and there was a n- number of companies. So Goldman Sachs was there presenting, but so was P and G, and I absolutely loved the sound of P and G. The people that were there, good good friend of mine, Claire Sheridan, was on the stage presenting, and um, it yeah it didn't take me take me long. A few conversations with them into into a formal interview process, and. And then I, you know, I was offered offered a role on their graduate programme, but an accelerated version of it for, for those who already had a, a sort of qualification like a, a yeah. accountancy or an MBA yeah. or whatever. Okay. So um yeah, so joined PNG in nineteen, late nineteen ninety-eight. And that was where that was where I kind of found found my place. Found you know, your I'd tribe. Kind of found a tribe, found a place that didn't didn't stamp on that enthusiasm, really, really nourished it and wanted it. And just lots of really bright interesting people uh, so you know just completely completely the making making of me for sure and I followed my nose through that I didn't I did maybe maybe this is just a product of not having gone to you know go, go, maybe not gone to private school it's not the right language but maybe not having the education that I did I didn't have this I didn't even really think about career paths and get into director or Yeah, or there wasn't executive. a plan. Yeah, there wasn't a plan. no, there wasn't no, really was... a plan. Um I always wanted to get on. I mean, I was a bit a bit focused on that next grade and that next level, but I wanted to do it through doing work that was really interesting that would grow me and would make a difference, you know. So I think that was always a bigger driver for me than the than the, the sort Yeah. Of kind of focus on the, the rank on the t- job yeah. title or whatever or the salary. Yeah. So um so it sort of came to a natural conclusion when I was kind of doing all this work in MA, and um that ended and I went back into a sort of more mainstream commercial finance job um but it, it just sort of had that natural feeling of of ending for me because I loved 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 you know selling a Bosin and Sand or whatever yeah and and so then went into investor relations at SAB Miller beer company which sadly no longer exists which was looking to P&G as a model of of you know model that was building brands and and they were looking to do the yeah, same in yeah. in that sec- in the beer sector um had a ball there it was it was difficult really difficult culture from from P&G but i think i like i like i, I seem to do well in 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 quite specific cultures you know cultures yeah. where you 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 know, it's easy to say, isn't it? Sort of what's the culture of an organization, but, you know, a P&G and g and SEB, they had really specific cultures, very has a very specific cultures, culture. Yeah. And um, anyway, I seem to do, do well in that kind of environment. Um, and then stayed there for three years, was headhunted to do um, a role at a company in Scotland that had just been promoted into the FTSE 100. Um, they'd never had a sort of professional investor relations or communications yeah. function. And so that really appealed to be able to move back to Scotland. Yeah. Um, so took that role. And that's that's really when the wheels came off career wise for me. Um probably just back to your point about that enthusiasm and stamping that down and and you know, hiring a, a hiring a peacock and then not really wanting yeah. wanting the peacock. Um it was just it's just it was a very grey experience um <laughs> to the point that you know, I, I after a couple of days of of working in the office, I sort I completely changed my wardrobe. You know, from
0: after a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. From but, sort of, you, you looked around and went, "Whoa, <laughs> I yeah, I stick out here." Yeah, I stick out here.
1: Exactly. And this is
0: "Like you're you're a a senior player at this stage. You're you're not you you know you're just not not a not a junior hire. Um, this is somebody who they are hiring in to make a big difference." And it even affected you at that stage. You know. That's amazing, I isn't think, it?
1: I think more so probably because, you know, this was 10 years ago. There was yeah. definitely unfinished business in terms of fitting in, belonging, yeah. you know, being part of something, being part of an at, a, an in-crowd, you know, a gang, yeah. a tribe or whatever. Something that I'd really, I'd not had in my, my childhood at all. Um, so, you know, just kind of desperate to fit in. And I think I just blunted off parts of me. Um, right it's horrible i i bought some lovely suits which were the most boring suits in the world but the the joy <laughs> is i gave them to my cleaner when i left because she was establishing a you know a bit of an imp- an empire with her cleaning business and needed yes. to look smart when she was you know trying to sell her yeah. her offer to you know corporates and uh, so she got everything um, well, <laughs> and she and yeah. she she won business that way so so i'm very happy about that but um I think you, well, my, my experience of that was that I think you can blunt yourself off mm. and be something that you're not for only so long. And then the cracks show. And
0: that's the thing, isn't it? It, it actually takes emotional energy to, yeah. to quiet down the parts of you, you know, and, and I, people, people stay in jobs for decades with yes. that, you know, with those parts of them battened down so that they don't come out and, and that that's actually draining energy. It means you're not oh, getting the best definitely. of the person at all.
1: Def- definitely. Definitely. It's, um, it's exhausting. It's yeah, absolutely exhausting. Yeah. Um, so I stayed there about 18 months. Um, Did a, did a, a, a reasonable job though. What what was quite pleasing was that from a sort of, you know, competence point of view, I, you know, I was nominated for best in base, best, best relations officer awards and stuff and, and in that kind of thing. And, one one a couple so that that was pleasing that yeah. i was still doing the job but the but the whole yeah the emotional energy that I was expending in order to do that and to fit in and to to be able to um to influence and 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 sort of be the leader that i i, that I needed to be but also i thought maybe arrogantly like that the company needed me to be as well. Yeah, they just, yeah. they, I think it just, they just weren't ready, ready for it. You know, I've worked a, in yeah. quite progressive companies prior to that, rel- relative to this one. So.
0: Isn't it amazing how you can achieve and it still doesn't feel good? If you're trying to motivate staff, if you're trying to improve performance in people it's not just about the result it's not just about the achievement they have to feel it mm. they have to feel it that, you know there if there's causes for dissatisfaction that you need to address those causes before they can feel the achievement or because it's like a barrier between them and the feeling of achievement you know yeah. really, you know yeah, you, yeah, you'll, yeah. you'll feel good about it uh, for a minute but really those causes of dissatisfaction will kind of just overwhelm the good feeling of achievement and take it away and it's interesting that years later you can kind of tell that story about it as well yeah that's really interesting
1: it's interesting i've never thought about it that way but yeah i i I completely completely agree with you i think it's the difference between being really strong and being able to push water uphill but hey guess what it's just better if you let the water flow down (laughs) yeah 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 it doesn't need to be pushed uphill yeah um so yeah, so that that takes me up to probably 2013 or something like that, um, and um, joined Boots um, back with with someone who had worked with at, at P and G, guy called Ben Fletcher, and um, you know I think I'm, I'm I'm basically unemployable unless I'm working with ex P and G people, as I've <laughs> <laughs> discovered. Um, so we we worked together for a while at Boots. Um, we had this. Sort of ambition of creating a a, a sort of p and g style finance function p and g finance was was absolutely at the heart of 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 leadership and um, with with marketing and the sales function sort of triumvirate right. of those two yeah. functions working really hand in hand together um which is not not only better for business but a lot more a lot more fun so we would had we would had this ambition of creating that um but that that didn't didn't materialize right. i think there's um you know i think a strong a strong finance function can be a threat to other other functions um and i well, think
0: that, that- yeah I, th- I think most people when they hear you know sorry most non finance people and uh, we see finance um potentially as a blocker yeah. <laughs> they 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 protect the budget. We have to fight them for it. It's it's like yeah. it's like uh, being in a in a play school, and uh, the finance people are the ones with all the toys, and you have to fight them to get the toys. <laughs> Isn't that the way it works?
1: Well, in my experience, no. Um, but but yes, I think in 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 many companies' experience, that is absolutely spot on. But um, yeah, I think it, I think um, we had we had an ambition of of kind of being very you know not even the seat at the table and partner wasn't even in our language, you know, it was much more, no, no, we're, we're here to lead the company. Um, and, and I don't think, don't think everybody thought that was necessarily in their best interest. So, yeah. so Ben, Ben moved on to, to an MD role, which, which was fantastic for him. I got a new boss, um, and, and good boss, bad boss is a title of this podcast. Let's say he was on the, the bad boss side, I'd suggest. Yeah. And so left, left shortly, shortly after, but, um, had sort of kind of recognised that there's a bit of a pattern forming, you know, right. super successful P&G, super successful SEB, not so-so, you know, at the next company, not so-so at the next company. So um, hooked up with um, a couple of guys, one of whom I know you know, yeah. uh, one of your your uh, fellow fellow Irishmen, Michael Cahill, and we created a business called Capital Conversations, mm. which, was, which had the intent of... Um, Really supporting CFOs and their functions to lead for value creation and to have the conversations okay. that were required to do that. Um, Michael's ex-UBS, um, very kind of well-respected um, author and, and thought leader on valuation. Mm. And so, um, so we had a wonderful time doing that work. And as you, as you well know, when you kind of step into the the world of of working independently or or um, freelance or consulting yeah. with in a small way. Um, I've ended up forming other partnerships with people. So, um, company called TPC leadership. Um, I, I joined forces with them. Um, and this is where the sort of coaching thing comes in. Actually, um, I was listening to one of your podcasts just yesterday. Um, smart objectives one. one yeah. Ariel, Ariel
0: O'Farrell. Yeah. 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 Um,
1: that was a good one. Um, I, I'd actually, I'd gone down the coaching path again, this was, but not to be a coach. You know never ever intend to be a coach when i when i was at the weir group which was which was the company where where um i didn't didn't fare so well the um i really really felt that if we could we we could encourage people to listen to each other more and to create the space to think then that that would really unlock the potential in the company Mm. so followed the nancy klein path read the books did her foundation training with her which was amazing um, yeah. And I think as a natural um, kind of chatterer, uh, bletherer, as we'd say, in Scotland and yeah. storyteller, um, I think, you know, bad thing for me to have to learn to listen to other people. I think, so, you know, first and foremost, I got a lot out of it in, in that respect. Yeah. So I um, so done, had done that when, um, when Michael Cahill and I started working together, I um, studied NLP with Sue Knight but that was more to understand Michael. It wasn't, again, it wasn't necessarily to be a coach. It was to have yeah. a shared language with Michael because he'd, he'd gone down that path some years earlier. Yeah. And then when I joined TBC, TBC was born out of the, the John Whitmore world of growth. Right. Yeah. Um, and um, Tim Galway, et cetera. So, you know, their, their sort of foundation was, was coaching. So I trained to be a coach um for free, you know, with yeah. them. Um. And then kind of discovered, which I'd kind of, I'd known before, but discovered that I was good at breaking things down and, and explaining how things work. So I ended up teaching the coaching, i.e. training other people to be coaches. Yeah. So I had this thread of coaching going through. So, you know, did quite a bit of coaching when I was at TPC, but the thing that really interested me was again, going back to my roots was to, um to, to, to work in in the public sector and, and, you know work develop programs and, and interventions for people who were doing the the public, the service but yes, that I yeah. wasn't anymore doing so um partnered with uh Dr. Andrew McDowell at TPC who's a wonderful wonderful individual and and a very well known face in in the NHS and healthcare right um and did quite 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 some interesting work with him london ambulance service um right. did our sponsorship mentoring program to support um those identifying with bame characteristics as they called it yeah. um to to um, progress in the company you know working with people at, at board level and, and um, executive level um did a mentoring program again with the london ambulance which was focused on hearing sort of front front line voices so Re- reverse yeah. mentoring if you like which okay. essentially a leadership program which um the, the one i've just um done it it very it was very similar you know activating that sense of inner leader so you you have a voice or are able to share that voice with senior senior leaders yes, yeah um and um a big program uh that the nhs run for for leaders who are um you know, twelve to eighteen months away from from board level called ads accelerated developers, accelerated directors development scheme. So did 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 things like that. So it was kind of that was sort of a way to reconnect me to what I was trying yeah. originally to do. Um but um I think because I'd spent so long in in companies, I I had this sense of I'm only scratching the surface. I'm I'm doing part of it, but I really want to do, oh, I want to do the whole bit. Um, I need to yeah. be internal in order to yes, support yeah. the system and to be able to receive this intervention, if that makes yeah. sense.
0: It it seems like um, history repeated itself that, you know, that time that you took the little bit of time out to do the literature, it was like you nearly that, took a bit of time out to do that study piece again, except this time it was coaching and, and, yeah, yeah. and that end. And, and then you were it. like, okay, okay, I'm ready now again. Let's go back yeah. in. Get, yeah, back yeah, in, yeah. get back in the game. No, that's
1: so true. I haven't thought about that. I haven't thought about that. Um, so, yeah, so that was, I did that for, for six years. And, and I was, I'd, you know, probably a couple of years ago, I'd started to get um, this sense of, I really want to be back yeah. in a company. I want to be back in a company. Get back but, in
0: the tribe. Yeah.
1: Find, you know, find, it's really hard to find one. You know, when I realised that I was essentially unemployable, unless it was working with PG people, yeah. it was like, how, how can I, who, where can I work? um and being in edinburgh with with the financial services sector being as large as it is that just didn't feel didn't feel right to me um my husband has worked a lot uh, he's in, in IT in financial services and mm. I, I just didn't see the opportunity to have you know to to bring in some of the more progressive ideas that that i um come to to learn through working with andrew and working with with michael and, and others um so my so my idea became that I would um find a a small company yes. and go in at the start and establish the yeah, yeah. culture right right from the start and that that was my thinking. So when when Ben Fletcher the CFO at Very, approached me um shortly before he became CFO at Very in January 2020 my thinking was I'm going to find a small company and I'm going to go in as you know I called it chief people officer but I in my head, that wasn't HR, that was the person who would support the company so yeah. to scale in a way that was um you know recognized the, the corporate citizenship dimension, yeah, social purpose, or you know, whatever language you want to use. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I was. And I and I've still I've still got friends in, in those companies and, and maybe one day that that could be an option. But meanwhile, yeah. I'm having a ball, I'm learning so much. It's amazing to to go from what I was doing for six years to then go into a company and have the resources and the permission, and yeah. the the need, you know, and the recognised need in the company, as opposed to when I was at the Weir Group, I I kind of I saw the need but I had no permission. <laughs> yes, know, yeah, you're you're no, on the outside, um, um, of no, outside the no fence. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. And you know, in the the role of talent uh, and capability director, what is it? What, what do you think are the key success factors for a role like that? So now that you have the permission and you're inside, you're inside the fence, what are the success factors for you? What would you like to see that if in in three years time you were saying, right, job well done, there's an achievement and it feels good?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, lear- I'm learning the language. I've got a wonderful chap called Rob Peacock working for me at the moment. Um, he's amazing. Uh, with a real kind of l and d background but also interestingly uh, started out as life as a, a TSB graduate scheme and became a a, 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 ba- a bank manager so right, you know, not, okay. <laughs> to, yeah. not so dissimilar. um but so I'm not going to get necessarily the language perfect on this as, as maybe other um more long-standing sort of talent directors would 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 have but for for me it's all about driving business performance through continuous learning you know so kind of having this sense of um i think it's a word that's used a lot learning organization or a phrase that's used a lot but for me that just means that there's there's this recognition that unless i'm growing the company can't grow you know so i I heard you say on the what what the other podcast i was listening to about values you know but Mm. the company can't have values only the people can have values that's it yeah the the company can't grow that's that's not possible only people can grow
0: Yes, that's so it, yeah.
1: that's that's sort of quite quite a sort of similar similar mindset. So, so it's really about thinking about how we create, um, and it's maybe less about content, although that's important, and it's less about training, although I'm sure that's important. But how do we create the conditions? And this comes from coaching, doesn't it? How do you, get, yes. you create the conditions for people to think for themselves, to um to to tap into what I call the genius within, you know, their inner, inner genius. How do they bring that to life? How do they bring that alive in service of, Mm. of, of, of the strategic imperatives of the group? And that doesn't have to be everything. I've, you know, um, I want people at very to have, you know, multiple interests in life. It's not all about the myopic focus on, on work, but, um, but if they can bring the, the scout leader into work, if they can bring the dancer into work, if they can bring the mom yeah. into work, you know, if they can bring those, you know, sub, sub personalities as they, as they say in psychosynthesis, which is the, the sort of, there's the a branch of, of coaching that I've come from. Um, then I think they're, they're better. They're happier. They're going to like, you know, it's not really about discretionary effort. Cause I don't really like the thought of that either, but yeah, it, it, they're just going to be generally happier and they're going to be happier people to work with, you know? And I think now it's, it's, it's so important to recognize that we work in teams, you know, so we win and we work together in teams. That's Hmm. such a critical part. Um, And, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to work with a miserable bugger who's Hmm. moaning all the time, you know, who's depressed because he hates his job and he's got this narrative going on all the time about who, oh, poor me. It's always me that's, Ne- never get the great jobs or never, you know, you don't want that. You want people who are buzzing with, with optimism yeah. alive. And, and, um,
0: do you think yeah. that's, do you think at the moment, you know, remote working and uh, working from home, do you think that sense of team, the sense of the the team win, the sense of working together and and feeling that buzz when you're in your own, Kitchen or office, home office or bedroom or wherever, you, whatever corner of the house you've you've, yeah, yeah. you've uh, annexed for yourself. Do you think it's harder for people to feel that together at the moment?
1: Oh, for sure.
0: And do you think that home working is a viable long term option for companies that want to create that
1: buzz? I would say no, but I think the hybrid model, which which Ferry will be following, I think is a is is a good good it, it's a good thing to experiment with at least um mm-hmm. i think people have very much enjoyed the flexibility i think mm. whether you're um a parent or not a parent male female um I, I think everyone's found the the flexibility that we have and the and the fact that we've shifted more to outcomes rather than presenteeism clocking in you know yeah. which yeah. i think some companies still still very much had before the pandemic so i think there's something really wonderful about what has been um what's emerged from from the this the pandemic and working from home however i can't see and i'm sure there's lots and lots of companies who work wholly virtual who would say absolutely not vicky you know we, we can create a, an amazing culture but but our very our culture is very much based on relationships and people yeah. being together um so some kind of hybridization you know whether that's strict 50 50 50 percent at home 50 percent in the office or that, that kind of way is, 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 is how we're um, going to approach it when we're, yeah. we're able to be back in the office together, come fingers crossed, end of, yeah. end of June, early July. And, and we'll just have to, I think we'll have to experiment. I think we'll have to come up with um, ways of making the, those that are joining from home yeah. with those who are in the office, we're gonna to have to put in practices that support inclusion. And, mm. and and there isn't a sort of two-tier experience because, of course, there naturally will be two-tier experience. But mm. as you know from coaching, there, there are things that you can do to establish um at the start of meetings, you know, a, a sort of container, if you like, for for the, the meeting that you're going to have. So, uh, you know, um, um, we're, we're going to try it and see yeah. see what happens. But there's no putting the genie back in the bottle now, no. I don't think, at all. And I've heard you talk about this as well in terms of the work yeah, I saw you on the TV actually yeah. you know, talking about the, the work that you can now do, you know, beyond, beyond United yeah. Kingdom, beyond Ireland. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's I think it's
0: amazing. Yeah, like I've, 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 this week I've had plenty of meetings with uh, Hyderabad in India and yeah. uh, Budapest in Hungary. And normally I would have had to, to travel there, you know, that would have been yeah. the expected and need yep. you know would be travel there, and i I haven't had to go. I don't think it replaces face to face, though. you know, yeah. some people are going to fail miserably in this environment, yeah, and I would say after now, what is a year, a full year of working from home, some people will come back to the office and fail miserably in that environment now. <laughs> I heard <laughs> yes, a horrendous thing actually you'll be very interested is that they've they've started to do to do how to have face to face communication training programs in American <laughs> companies now. How to have face to face communications. So it it used to be how to have virtual communications. Now it's flipped around. They don't know how to talk to people face to face. I just think, I think, wow, the, the, the fallout and tissue rejection of what's happening is going to go on for a long time yet
1: yeah yeah it's, fa- going be amazing. It's, fasc- it's going to be fascinating it's a fascinating period to be and um, yeah
0: one thing just to, to move us on here because it's, it's something we've had conversations about before but in terms of female leadership you talked about when you were the the 13 year old self kind of had a little bit of the the ambition battered out of her um so that you you don't want to be prime minister anymore you just want to be minister for <laughs> something else education maybe. Yeah, yeah but in in terms of you know you you've seen the the trajectory of the 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 topic of female leadership over your own career and you've obviously done quite well but you've also been you've had that window from the outside mm-hmm. where you've looked into companies do you think that it has changed do you think we're at a stage where leadership has become genderless and it's just a matter of working through things now at this you know we kind of need we need this generation to kind of work through and then we'll be we'll be done what what's your thoughts on that
1: um no i don't i, I don't think it's become genderless and i don't think we're done i i do think that gender is not necessarily the most helpful lens and and this is not notwithstanding that i think there's some amazing work out there and i'll make a shout out to my good friend jill Whitty collins who's written a book called why men men When It work which is fantastic um and so i think there's 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 People who are doing work in that space, which I think is amazing. Where I I see myself, and this is sort of it's sort of quite emergent for me, so I'm not not necessarily got quite the crispness of articulation around it yet. But I I I we have we all have feminine and masculine within us, yeah. Mm-hmm. The the paradigm in which we think about leadership, though, is pretty much wholly masculine. You know, it's performance, it's objective, it's goals, it's KPIs, it's growth. You know, it's it's what we can measure. You know, it's pretty okay. external, not unlike the male anatomy, shall we say. It's kind of <laughs> it's what you can see. You know, yeah. and and similarly, you know, feminine leadership, which is more about relationship, and um, thinking of things being circular. Um, you know, sustainability and um, listening. You know that that is very very much needed in, in businesses right now. I think particularly at this time, you know, actually in, in terms of sort of post-pandemic world. But unless we have a conversation about the difference between the masculine traits of leadership and the feminine traits of leadership and how we need both, both are important as they are in nature, then I don't really see us making any progress. You know, and I, I worry that, and I've had conversations with with wonderful women who have mentored people onto boards, et cetera, who are, you know, chairmen themselves. And yeah. who have said said this to me baroness margaret ford was, is the person i'm thinking of she she mentored a number of of people women to get to board level and then they burn out really quickly because they're entering into a system that they're they're not they're, they don't have the permission to lead the, the way they want to lead and yeah. maybe they haven't also had that part of themselves activated or made conscious as well. Really, really harking back to the experience I had, you know, 10, 10 years ago when I went into my first big investor relations, relations job, you know, I was kind of, if I'd had the conscious awareness of, of the system that I was entering into and the conscious awareness of, of what I was trying to lead for, mm. then I, I think I would have fared rather differently. I wouldn't have, wouldn't have taken it so personally in, in the first instance. And I wouldn't also have tried so hard to kind of you know, push the water uphill for, for yeah. change in that organization.
0: Do you think, you know, just as you're talking there, I'm thinking of one thing, like, so I, I would have, would have been, you know, going up the corporate ladder slowly, but but I was still going up it, uh, at one stage. And and I remember, you know, some coaching conversations I had where I looked up and I went, I, I don't want that. You know, I, yeah. I, I see the shark tank and yep. I, I don't want to jump into that water there. Now, I, so that, that to me says that, well, actually it's not, Men that necessarily do well in that shark tank it's just yeah. sharks, sharks Sharks do well in that <laughs> exactly. shark tank and yeah. if you don't want to be a shark it's you know for, so in, in in that sense it's a bit genderless you know that, that it's a yes. certain subset of, of of I would agree it's men mostly but mm. there are some female sharks too that do yes. well in that shark tank and I I, I'm, I I get what you're saying about you know that we we mentor people to get into the shark tank and then it's horrendous it's a horrendous yeah. experience and it's it's more about what I'm wondering. Is it more about what we value, what corporates value as performance at that level? Is that yes. the problem? Like, what they are measuring is results at the end of the day, and that's it. And if you can get results, it doesn't matter how many dead bodies there are.
1: Yeah, I think so. I and mean, the the, sort of the results in the short term, though, and that's yeah. that's the challenge, isn't it? I think it's um, you know, there's a there's a there's a place for. Goals and smart objectives clearly yeah. in organisations, but quite often what's important is is more difficult to measure. Now it is measurable. I do believe that 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 um, organisations who are, you know, very purpose led, for example, I think you can measure the components that makes a, a very um, purpose led organisation. You know, trust and and ownership and meaning yeah. are really important dimensions and are measurable, but they're not as measurable as the the, the external. You know yeah number and i you know one of one of the things that, that michael and i set out to do with capital conversations was to educate people around the city you know at a really basic level i think a lot of people in senior positions have not been educated on valuation on having a conversation with equity analysts on having a conversation with their shareholders um mm. and i think i think it makes it, it i think once you have the lens of value creation and leading for long-term sustainable value creation, and you can you can articulate that to your shareholders, and you make sure your investor relations person is consciously creating a shareholder base who are supportive mm. and not psychopathic, essentially, and mm. just interested in, you know, yeah. kind of, you know, shorten your stock, then then I think that, that for me is where for finance and, and, and people and feminine leadership and purpose-led leadership, that's where those two worlds collide. And you mm. have to have both. You have to have yeah. people who are able to have the conversations with their shareholders about long-term value creation and have a shareholder set who are interested in that proposition you know, a long, long, over a longer-term period than a you know, quarter.
0: Yeah, I think t- um, I, I read about um, some of the Quaker-led companies from the the early industrial age, uh, yeah. Roundtree's and Cadburys and people like this, and they actually set up their companies for employee well-being. They've seen the poverty around them. Yes. And they said, well, actually, we, we can do a better job of looking after these people and looking after the employees. And I just thought, you know, we, we think that employee well-being is a new topic, but there's mm. people who, you know, nearly 200 years ago, we're we're talking about employee well-being and it's amazing how it you know only now that it's really doubling down on it at this stage and that employee well-being is a value creation piece you know absolutely that if you create a situation where people feel safe where they feel respected where they they can they can actualize their own future they will do it for you
1: yes yeah absolutely absolutely i mean it's I, I don't think many people appreciate how fantastic maybe maybe it's because I've been out for six years, but coming back into a company, the opportunity for me to grow and develop and experience new things is 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 just unmatchable in the outside world yeah. as a, as an independent um you know, working on you know, kind of side projects with our charity partner Beanstalk, working on um well, it's my job to work on leadership development but as a as a consequence of that i get to do all that for myself as well you know yeah, i get to, yeah. to bring things in that, that i need too so um you know and, and that's what that's what companies give you they give you that opportunity to contribute to the organization itself to the creation of the organization um, and i think that can be in, incredible for people in terms of their own self-actualization their own growth and they can take yeah. that somewhere else i'm not suggesting that we all need to stay in companies forever and ever you know you can take that and go independent or go to a small company or go to a big company another company um but it's um it is it is a a potential playground if the culture is such that it values you
0: mentioned you know a, a charity partner that whole social responsibility piece what what do you think of the is the role of corporates within their communities
1: i think it's recognizing that they are in their communities that like 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 if, if somebody moved next door to you and suddenly built a huge big wall up that, you know, disrupted your sunlight or view or was playing loud music till two o'clock in the morning, that would be a bit bit mean and disruptive and would be a bit, you know, disharmonious hmm. for the community. Yeah. So I think yeah. in the first and foremost it's recognizing that the, the role they play in the community as a member of the community, as a neighbor. Um I think it's it's about then recognizing the disproportionate impact they have on the community as an employer mm-hmm. um and all that they they do and um, that the the resources that they have to support the local community they it's there um it's it's recognizing that most most of us in, in companies really enjoy the part about giving back to communities so whether that's you know of gosh i remember many years ago you know working on um um young enterprise you know the program that goes into schools to support teenagers yes, to, yeah, you know yeah. become entrepreneurs or whatever or or going in to read to children or or mentoring uh head teachers that was something procter and gamble did or you know or just just generally recognize of just being a good neighbor in your community i think mm. i think people like that for themselves
0: yeah absolutely before I let you go, I want to talk to you about, uh, about being your own story and the importance yeah. of being fully alive, yeah, uh, fully alive in your, in your life and in your work. Yes. Yeah. Tell me about what, why that's important to you, this, this idea of, of your, of, of owning your own narrative.
1: I think because I didn't for such a long time, um, and didn't unconsciously, you know, it wasn't conscious that I wasn't owning my own story. I think many of us fall into things, um, you know, whether it's a, a career because your dad's an accountant, so you become an accountant, mm. or whether it's um a marriage, you know, because that's what's expected of you. It's not unusual to fall into things or to to, to be living someone else's unfinished story, you know, the the hopes mm. and dreams of our parents that weren't ever realized. Um and I you know, I I came up with this this phrase, it, it tied in really nicely to um Going back to my English literature degree and doing, um, you know, existentialists, French feminist, you know, psychoanalytic theory and stuff. I'd done my dissertation on Toni Morrison. It was called a, a psychoanalytic perspective on the work of Toni Morrison, the great um, African American um, author who died a couple of years ago. And she she did a, a commencement address to uh, a a college in 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 um, in the US. Um, which was a, uh, which is this discuss- guy, I had to look it up because I hadn't heard of Wellesley College in Massachusetts, but it's an uncompromisingly intellectual women's college, <laughs> and, um, which sounds like right up my street. I would have loved <laughs> to have been there. Um, but she, to- she talks about this in her commencement address, she talks about this idea, but, but you are your own stories and therefore free to imagine what it feels like to be human without domination over others, without arrogance, mm. without fear of others, unlike you you know um without reinventing the hatreds that you learned in this sandbox i think she, she says mm. and i just i really loved this idea a couple of years ago when i was maybe three years ago when i was starting to think okay i've sort of <clears throat> I, I love the way you put it i've done this time out now in 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 the sort of coaching development world although i never intended it to be time, time out but i yeah. think it's, it's it's a good observation i i wrote a manifesto for myself which was purely just to Kind of get my head in a place where what am I leading for, what am I here for, yeah. um, and i don't I don't like the the kind of um I think the find your purpose crowd can be a bit you know it's a bit big stick you know if you don't find your purpose, you're buggered, you know you're never right. never yeah. going to realize your potential you know yeah I don't, Mo- I d- most
0: people don't know what the purpose is <laughs>
1: exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly, and I think the minute you put language into it, you know thinking about our our nlp um ex- uh, training. You know like language language can make something which is actually a felt thing
0: mm-hmm.
1: too fixed it doesn't it doesn't necessarily work but if i could put language to to what i think my purpose is even though i don't use that language but what i think i'm 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 here to 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 be do is to help help others to be their own story and to be fully alive at work. I think that's yeah. essentially, and I see that as not just individuals but also businesses as well.
0: And how how can businesses tap into that? Because I mean, it 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 obviously, you know, I would I would say bosses of businesses will be going well geez you know uh, I'm not too sure I want to know everybody's story <laughs> because it could get a bit scary you know it could get a bit sensitive it could get a bit close to the bone yeah. are we prepared am I are my people uh, equipped to deal with that kind of thing I mean do you think it's something that they need help with
1: yeah yeah for sure and I'm not necessarily saying that we kind of you know should all be psychoanalysts and and you know <laughs> sort of lie on the couch when we get to work. But you know, but I think if we think about it from a from a company perspective, I was having a conversation on this just the other other day. You, we it very we've just refreshed our our strategy and we've got our strategic objectives for the next eighteen months very well articulated, and we we're talking about this notion that that Bain have of creating a second engine, an engine two they call it, which is. It really is just as as it sounds, although the language might be off-putting. But it's just having this this recognising that the core business could have some um, over the very very long term, and I'm talking generations twenty, thirty, forty years may well be um, potentially may well decline, and therefore you need a, a second business to come to come behind it over again okay. over the very long term that may well yeah. may, may well be the more important business in the future. And it's very easy to look to other companies um, that have done this. So Amazon would be a great example, you know, mm. retailer started out as a retailer. And then Amazon Web Services was born on the back of an engineer recognizing that they had cloud capacity.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and we were going to use that example in a story about bringing Engine 2 to life, but Very has their own story. They have the story of the football pools business, which mm. created a database of customers who were then able to be customers of the catalog business.
0: Yeah, so so the second engine engine was
1: back in the 1930s. So when I say be your own story, it literally is be your own story. You know, strategy is about uniqueness. Yes. Winning in the marketplace is about how can you uniquely win. It's not looking at others. It's not the, it's the Warren Buffett, you know, the strategic imperative that he talks about is a sort of the mindless, mindlessness in following what others do. It's being Mm. your own story. And I, I, for me, that's what it is. You know, that spot where only you stand as utterly unique. You bring your experience, your perspective. No one has that. And valuing that for yourself first, I think is the most important thing we can do. And creating companies that that support and create the conditions for that onlyness to come to life and for that, your story, and to be our own story together and create that next chapter. I just, I love that. I love the the notion of that
0: yeah I I do like I like that be being your own story together actually it's 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 like, a very unique set of ingredients that can't be recreated by anybody else, but that group of people that is there. That seems like a really good place to to leave our conversation. And I know this could be never ending, and uh, maybe we will talk again um, in a, in a few years to see how the the project is going for you.
1: Oh, that'd be great.
0: Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It's been it's been wonderful.
1: Thanks, Stephen. Really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for having me.
0: I love the piece where Vicky described buying the power suits, which really weren't her. Maybe asking the question, do these clothes suit me, might be a good test of whether you're in the right place or not. I also loved how she talked about a company's responsibility to be in their communities and recognise the impact they have. I hope Vicky's story has been a gentle reminder to you that you don't have to settle. Keep searching, keep trying, and keep the head up. Life is hopefully long, and if you don't define who you are in your career, then your career will define you. Brilliant stuff. Thank you for listening. It really means a lot and don't forget to share or recommend and all the previous episodes are available on my website, www.stephennaughton.com where you can find out all about what I do with the leadership in the world of work. I love getting feedback about which episodes you have enjoyed, so do contact me and do connect. You can find more from me on Instagram at Podcast. That's it for now. I'll be back next month with another Good Boss Bad Boss guest. Until then, goodbye.